But uh, again, great to, great to be with you guys today. Good to see you. My name is James. Um, I serve as the lead pastor here at Freedom Village. It's an honor uh, and a privilege to have you join us, with, uh, join us today. Uh, today we are wrapping up. We're finishing the book of, of 2 Peter. Uh, and I hope, for those of you who have made it through the duration of this series, maybe even part of it, I hope that this uh, series has been uh, as much of a joy for you uh, as it has been for me. Uh, there is so much encouragement to be found here in this letter, and so I hope that you have been strengthened by it. You know, in uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, Peter was told by Jesus, Jesus confronts Peter and, and actually tells him um, that you're going to deny me, okay? Uh, you don't know it, you might not think so, but you're going to deny me. But then the, the Lord, Jesus, in his mercy, says this to him after that. He says, when you have turned, turned back to me, go and, and strengthen your brothers. And I believe this letter is one of the ways that Peter has done that. This letter gives us strength. It gives us hope uh, and peace. And we are certainly going to see that again as Peter closes this letter today. Uh, now, if, if you were with us last week, uh, we started chapter 3 and we considered some of the realities of the day of the Lord or uh, the second coming of, of Jesus. And, and what we learned from uh, Peter is that God's word reveals the coming of Jesus, that God's work in the past is consistent with his coming. In other words, uh, God has intervened in our world in the past. He's He's doing that now. He's intervening, and so we can trust him that he will continue to do so. And then what we saw is that God is patient in delaying his return, that his hope, as Pastor Levi prayed, is that all would reach repentance. And so he has intentionally delayed his coming. And then finally, we learned that followers of Jesus should live their lives uh, in view of Jesus' return. We should live our lives through that lens, through that perspective, that because Jesus is coming back on a final day of judgment and a final day of salvation, we should strive to live holy, godly lives. Well, today, uh, what we're going to see Peter do is really reiterate a lot of the truths that he has spoken throughout this letter. And ultimately, the, the question that I think uh, Peter answers for the church here is, what do we do while we wait on the second coming of Jesus? Uh, because let's be really clear, it's not nothing. Okay? The answer is not nothing. It's not that we're just sort of going day by day, killing time. It's not that we're meant to wait in, in apathy that we are actually, what we're going to see from the end of Second Peter is that we're actually called to do something. There is a proper perspective to have. There are things we should be doing while we wait. And that's, again, what the end of Second Peter is all about. And here's why this matters. Okay? This is why this is important. It's worth your time. Okay? It's worth you listening. Because a wrong view of the end... Okay, a, a wrong view of where life and this world is heading can lead to all sorts of dark and deep problems. Uh, it can be pretty sad, actually. 
So for, for example, um, if you believe, if you're here today and you're, you know someone maybe who, who believes that history is heading nowhere, um, it could potentially lead you to a life of hedonism. And, and we see this all throughout our world. Hedonism meaning, meaning uh, that we just live for, for pleasure. Uh, we live for ourselves, self-centeredness. Uh, you, you believe that life is all a matter of chance, uh, that when all of us die, that's just the, the end. And so the philosophy is just live your life to the fullest. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry, uh, if you will. If this life is all that there is, then just live it up while you're here and while you have the time. Or another outcome could be apathy. Uh, so if you see no purpose of history, there's no real goal, uh, no more mission to this life, then what is there to actually motivate you, right? to get up in the morning even? Right? What is there to excite you? Uh, why be concerned about anything, actually? So you can see how uh, this view could easily lead you to a life with no meaning, with no purpose. Or perhaps, uh, and even more, the most uh, depressing option, um, if you have no glorious vision of the future, if you don't believe that history is heading anywhere, that could lead you to a life of despair. It's a life that reflects on itself, looks in the mirror, if you will, and says, there is no hope, and therefore, I have no hope. We're all just lost, empty, meaningless. And for those of us who, who consider ourselves or who call ourselves followers of Christ here, followers of Jesus, while we of course know that those things don't define us, hedonism, apathy, hopelessness, and despair, please understand this morning that if you don't reflect properly and regularly on the future coming of Jesus Christ, your heart, your heart also can, can tend to drift in these different ways as well. And some of us know that all too well. Like, if you're not careful, uh, you, you can drift into self-indulgence rather than pursuing godliness. Or, or you can drift into a life of apathy and lose your zeal for Christ and for his mission and for his kingdom. Or even worse, again, maybe you, you drift into a life of despair, into depression. You Look at the world around you. You look at your own life and you see so much darkness. It's just hopeless. So again, this is why Peter, and particularly his letter, 2 Peter, is so important for us. It's why a proper view of the second coming is so essential. Because a belief that life is heading somewhere, a belief that history actually has a goal, actually inspires us to live our life as though it matters. And it does. It leads us to hope. And Peter has been showing us that and will once again show us that beautifully as he closes this letter. So now, in, in light of all of that, today I, what I want to do is, I think, pretty simple, but... I just want to show you a few things that we are called to do as we wait on the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
What do we do while we wait? And I'm going to show you four things. Four things uh, to make yourself busy, I guess, if you will. Peter tells us, number one, this. We're going to see this. Be diligent to reflect the purity of Christ. While you wait on the second coming, there's something for you to do. The first thing is, be diligent to reflect the purity of Christ. He says this. He says this in verse 13. Sorry, 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, which, which links us back to what he has just said in verse 13 about the new heavens and the new earth. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, what's the these? That is the coming of Jesus. Uh, that is his judgment, his final salvation, the new heavens, the new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things to occur, he says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. So, so Peter says, we are not meant to be passive. We don't just sit back, okay, chill, and wait. And Peter likes that word diligent quite a bit. We've seen that throughout this letter. It's the same exact word that appeared in chapter 1, verse 5, when he said, make every effort, there's that word, every effort to add to your faith. And then you remember, he adds all those godly virtues. Make effort to be godly. He also uses the word in verse 10 of chapter 1, when he says, be diligent to confirm uh, your calling and your election. Understand that you're saved. Be diligent in that pursuit. We, we know that the apostle Paul uses that word as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says it this way, be diligent to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So this word diligent here, it's a, it's a word that has a, a meaning of energy, but there's also work. And, and let's recall in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, Peter has also told us that we have the power to do this. Okay, so let's not go any further without saying that. We have actually been given the power to work, to make effort, to be diligent, which means this call here at the end of Peter's letter isn't to be done or doesn't need to be done in our own strength or in our own power. No, we, we who are in Christ have the Holy Spirit to aid us in this, to, to give us the strength to be diligent. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then what follows that? He says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work according to his good pleasure or purposes. Amen? So God is at work in us. He gives us power. And, and Peter now says, along with that, with that, be diligent to make your life count. You have one life. You have one shot at this. And it passes by so quickly. I, I, I was so annoyed, I remember, as a, as a young kid or a teenager when older people around me, particularly my siblings, parents, oh, like life moves so, so fast, the older you get. It couldn't be more true. It just keeps getting faster and faster. It's unbelievable. I can't believe we're in October. I can't believe it. It's passed by so quickly. You have one life, one shot. And, and listen, only what is done for Jesus, only what is done for Christ 
matters. Only what you do for him will actually count. So be diligent to be found without spot or without blemish, he says. And notice back in 2 Peter, it says to be found in him, it says there in verse 14. To be found in him. So listen, the the hope of the second coming is that Jesus is coming. That's the hope. That you are going to be found in him. And so the question is, how will he find you? You will be found by him. How will he find you? Make every effort to look like Jesus, the one who will find you. That's what Peter is saying here. And this, of course, is in contrast to the false teachers in chapter 2, who were doing what? We talked about this extensively. They were staining the church. They were marring the gospel, right? They were distorting the gospel. They were, had spots, if you will, marks. And so, as opposed to them, we are to be striving to be spotless, like the spotless one. And let's not miss the opportunity to say here that in Christ, in Christ, we are blameless. We are spotless. We are pure in the eyes of the Father because of the blood of the Son. That is our identity. We are spotless in the person of Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. And in that identity, we are empowered to live out that purity. Or you might say it this way, we are empowered to be who we are, to to live out practical holiness. We are holy, and we are given the power to live holy. This is so important. While we wait, we strive We put effort towards being like Jesus. We desire to grow in godliness. That's been a central message of this book. Strive towards this. Make every effort towards this. More important than your looks, more important than your bank account or any of your individual accomplishments, we work to be godly. And this, of course, is a word for us as individuals. But it's also broader than that. You know, it's it's also a word to those of us here who are parents. Uh, What what message are we sending to our kids? What's our priority for our lives? What's our hope for them? What are our dreams and aspirations for them? What are we pushing them and encouraging them to go after? It should be godliness, first and foremost, not another hogwan. And it's also a word to those of us who are, who are single here as well. So, so what are you looking for in a spouse for those of you who want to be married? Are you choosing someone because of their family background? Are you eliminating people in your view because of their career or what they don't do or what you hope that your spouse will do? Are people off your list because of how much they don't have in their bank account? Is it first and foremost their appearance, their, their looks? Okay. Listen to me, you know, especially you ladies, okay? <laughs> it, it is a lot easier, a lot easier to change a guy's clothes than to change his character. 
It's a lot easier to change that guy's clothes than to change his character. I promise you. Okay, hear me. Right? And in fact, he will probably change his clothes for you. Uh, he might even be thrilled that you want to pick out his clothes and lay them on the bed for him. Okay? But good luck changing his character. Good luck. Okay? Hear that so often here, particularly not even as much. It's, it's big in the West. It is so prevalent here in Korea. So many godly young ladies willing to compromise, believing that they can save their boyfriend. That if they just get around me enough, we just get married, then they'll start to prioritize the gospel. Don't fall into that trap. It's a lot easier to change what he's wearing and to change his character. Peter says those who know Jesus, who love Jesus, who say they want to live their lives for Jesus, they should be diligent to live holy as Jesus Christ is holy, as they wait on the second coming of their Lord. So what does diligence look like for you? Today, very practically, what is, what is your next step towards being diligent to godliness, towards godliness? Maybe it's being more consistent in your prayer life and you need someone to come alongside of you with that. Maybe it's being more regular in the word and again, you need someone to come alongside of you for that. Maybe it's a decision today to be more committed to, to be more involved in community here in your local church, committed to serve maybe for the very first time. That's a step towards being diligent. Peter says, be active. Take action towards being more like Jesus. It's worth the effort. So make every effort. It's number one. Number two, Peter says, experience the peace of Christ. Experience the peace of Christ. You'll notice there that there's this little add-on. It's so profound and so deep. I could do a whole entire sermon on this little add-on, actually. But it's just this little add-on there at the end of verse 14. He says, while you're waiting for the second coming, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And then what? And at peace, he says. Oh, yeah, and at peace. It's like a little side note, but it's so deep. At peace. Be diligent to be at peace, Peter says. Now, what does that mean exactly? Uh, does it mean be at peace with God? Well, it, it could certainly mean that. And some scholars actually believe that's exactly what it means. That when Jesus does return, when he comes back, uh, that you have a satisfied soul, that you are at peace, ready to see the Lord. You're at peace with that coming. But it could also mean at peace within the community of faith, within the body of Christ, peace. And I actually tend to, to lean in that direction based on the context of Second Peter, particularly where these false teachers have come in and are causing division. They're stirring up all types of opportunities to be at odds with each other. And so in that sense, Peter is saying, work towards godliness, your vertical relationship, but also work towards peace in the horizontal, in the horizontal relationships with other people. And by the way, the same idea is reiterated several times throughout the New Testament. This isn't new. Peter is almost repeating this idea that in light of the coming of Jesus Christ, 
there is to be unity within the fellowship within, among the saints. For example, um, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, it says, Let love abound in view of the day of Christ. In other words, in view of the reality that Jesus is coming, love one another. That's what he's saying. So in view of Jesus' return, let's have settled hearts. Let's have hearts that are at peace and peaceable with others. There's no reason for anxiety today. There's no reason for panic when it comes to his return. We can look at our world, even amidst all the injustice, corruption, and brokenness, and we don't have to think, oh no, the sky is falling, right? It's, it's, this is the end, right? No, no, the, the sun is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. We, we keep that in mind. You might recall in Philippians chapter four, uh, four Paul says there, these famous words that a lot of us know and have memorized, or maybe we put it up on a screenshot before. It's, don't be anxious about anything, but make your prayers with thanksgiving to God. And then he says, and if you do that, that you'll actually experience the peace of God, right? But what does it say right before that? Right before that, it says this, the Lord is at hand. That is, the Lord is near, He's near, and and because of that reality, again, we have no reason for uneasiness in our souls. Have peace, Peter says. Colossians 3 tells us this, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. In other words, let peace, it literally translates this way, let peace dominate your heart. Let it conquer your heart. So let that be true of us, church, as we wait on the second coming. While we wait for Jesus to return, have a settled heart. Experience his peace personally and experience his peace relationally within the fellowship. It should be well within our soul because the Lord is near. He is close to us now, we know, because we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. So we can have peace, but he is also near in regards to his certain return. Jesus is coming soon, so have peace. Third, as we wait, Peter says, be rooted, be rooted in the truth of Christ. Be rooted, have a foundation, he's saying. Be rooted in the truth of Christ. Uh, I, I love this, this next text. It's, it's really good, rich. Uh, because here, what we actually see Peter do is he, he calls on the Apostle Paul uh, to give him a bit of support. And he basically says uh, to the church, what I am telling you right now, what I'm saying to you, is the exact same thing that Paul said to you as well. And he says a few things about Paul. And then he lands in verse 17, and we'll look at this in a minute, but he says, don't lose your stability That's what really this is about. Don't lose your stability. He says, as you wait on the coming of Christ, uh, he's saying, don't drift into another teaching. Uh, don't, Don't drift into heresy, into a false gospel. Don't listen. Don't give ear to false teachers. Be rooted and established in that which is true. Recall chapter 1, verse 12, when Peter said there, 
I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth. So Peter, again, again and again, but he says here, I'm telling you what you already know. This is a reminder. It's not a new information. I'm telling you what you already know. He started the letter by saying, you are established in the truth. That's who you are. And now he gets to the end of his letter and says, stay established in it. (laughs) Don't do anything foolish, in other words. Don't go off the path. Just continue to meditate on the gospel. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Be rooted and established in sound doctrine. Stand firm. That's part of his closing remarks. Don't be a Christian that is blown away by every new teaching or blown away by every new philosophy or worldview or every new fad. And he reiterates that in verse 15 when he says, the the so-called delay of Christ's coming is actually a sign of the mercy of God. He, He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. In other words, this age that we currently live in, the age that we live in between the ascension of Jesus, we talked about this last week, the the last days, the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ, we are in right now the age of salvation. And we should be so grateful for that, that we live in an age of salvation. Uh, If you have taken a history class, uh, you know in history we study all these ages, right? The Dark Ages, Middle Ages, Industrial Age. Well, theologically speaking, we have been living and are living in the age of salvation. This is the age where today, today, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you can put your faith in him. There's still time. Uh, It's good news. One of the reasons that God has delayed the second coming of Jesus is because he desires more people to come to know Jesus, to believe in him. And if you are a Christian here today, if you're following Jesus, what this means is that it's time to get busy evangelizing people because this is the age of salvation. The Lord is in the midst of saving people. He is saving people now. He's transforming hearts and lives now. Christ has not yet returned And so God is still doing that work. So let's get on board with him in that work. That also means is that we can and should leave places like this with a sense of confidence, right? Confidence, of course, not in ourselves, but in him. Because salvation is of the Lord. So Peter says, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. And then he adds to that, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. So here we see this this tenderness being given from Peter towards Paul. Uh, There is some love here shown to his brother, which I think is actually really significant because of the conflict that we know that the two of them once, once shared between them. There were some issues between them about who should be qualified to go on the mission field uh, between uh, what is, the, what is 
uh, that mean to be saved? Uh, you know, should we follow the law? And, and how Jewish should we be? There's an, a big argument. You can read about this in Galatians 2. You can see this at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. There's sort of this tension between these two apostles, these two like pillars of the faith. But now you see Peter is approving of Paul. And we read in other places where Paul is actually doing the same for Peter. So there's now mutual respect. There's unity between these two. And he says, he wrote to you, Paul wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. So Peter says that God gave Paul wisdom. He gave God wisdom. And the point here that Paul, uh, Peter is bringing out is that there is a consistency between Peter's teaching and between Paul's teaching. And so we see here another reference to the reliability of the scriptures. The point is that scripture is not only holy, but it's also harmonious. That there's a consistency to it. And so you and I can trust it. And Peter says something very interesting here about Paul in verse 16. He says this. It's, it's so interesting. He says, and he, Paul, does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. And look at this. As they do the other scriptures. So, so, so Peter says, Paul also speaks and has spoken about the return of Jesus Christ. How his return should inspire us to live a godly life. He's wrote about the day of judgment. Paul has wrote about the day of salvation. And the phrase there, all his letters, you could underline that, circle that, highlight that. It tells us something very significant, that at this time, right around 60 to 64 AD, Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul's letters, were already being passed around to the church. It tells us that they were being read, that they were being copied, and that they were being taught. And most important, most important, look at the end of verse 16 there. It says, as they do the other scriptures. It means Paul's words, his letters were actually considered God's word that early on. So you've heard someone argue this against Christianity before. Well, you know, Christianity, you know, these guys wrote some stuff down, but it wasn't until a few hundred years later that they actually like brought together this thing called the canon and, and considered it scripture. False. Couldn't be more the truth. Couldn't be further from the truth. Around 60 AD, even before that, don't miss that. So significant, so significant. People were going around believing that Paul, his letters were inspired by the word of God and were taught as though they were scripture. Infallible, inerrant, that early on. And now Peter's saying, I'm writing to you in the same way with the same authority. This is scripture. So important. And I always laugh, uh, always. I did again this time. I always laugh. Maybe it's just a... Uh, pastor thing, I don't know. But I always laugh when Peter says here that Paul is a little bit hard to understand. He says there are some things in them, in his letters, that are hard to understand. And I've been, you know, studying, of course, I've been studying Second Peter, uh, this letter, for like 
three months. And I'm laughing because I'm like, Peter, have you read your own work? Like, you're a little bit hard to understand. Oh, my goodness, you're quoting outside the Bible and Jude and, you know, everywhere else. It's, yeah. Anyway, you're a little hard to understand. Um, But what's his point? His point in saying that is that because Paul was perhaps writing at a, at a higher level, let's remember he was very well educated, uh, maybe at an advanced level, at times, even theologically, because he's trying to make sense of the Old Testament even. And he's trying to write things to Gentiles who are not have that Jewish background. So Peter's saying he can be at times a little bit hard to understand. And so what was happening is these false teachers knowing that there needed to be some level of interpretation, these false teachers come in, and as they were doing with the other scriptures, they're twisting and manipulating Paul's words, which are scripture. They're taking advantage of the situation. Hey, this gathering, um, probably the most of them, are, by the way, are probably illiterate. And so now I can go in here and I can say, well, here is what Paul has written to us and this is what it means, right? And they're twisting it for their own gain, right? We looked at that in chapter two, which is why Peter here once again warns the church. He has warned us and them several times now and now this is the final time. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He says, you know their tricks. You know what they're going to do. You know what they tend to do. You know what they're doing right now. So don't fall. Don't be led astray. You know the bait. You know it's coming. Don't take it. He says, these false teachers and their followers they're basically, he's saying, that they're like the blind who are leading the blind. Their, their ways only lead to destruction, so don't be carried away by them. He actually uses this image here of a ship that's being blown or tossed away in the wind. He's saying, don't shipwreck your faith. That's what he's saying. Stay on the path. Keep your, your sails pointed north, if you will. Don't get shipwrecked. Don't get lost at sea. Rather, be established in the truth of Christ. Be rooted in the gospel. Be rooted in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, number four, Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And this should sound somewhat familiar to you, if you were here for chapter one at least. This is verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Simply stated. This is what we do while we wait, Peter says. We are to grow in grace. And simultaneously, we are to grow in knowledge. Knowledge of what? The knowledge of Christ. Verses 17 and 18 really do summarize this whole entire book in so many ways. If you want to know what 2 Peter is about, Read chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It gives you the answer. Verse 17 is all about being guarded, being a guarded Christian, about not falling prey to false teaching. And now here in verse 18, we see it's all about being a growing Christian. And we all uh, need this, right? We all need this. And we do all this, how? What's the end of verse 18? 
He says, for the glory of Christ, which we'll see in just a minute. So let's think about this last point here for just a moment. While we wait on the second coming, we are to keep growing. Someone once said, I think this is true, the Christian life is a lot like riding a bicycle. Once you stop moving, you fall off. So keep moving. Life might be hard, a challenge for you. Keep moving. You might be growing tired and weary. Keep pedaling Keep moving, keep pressing on towards the goal. Otherwise, you might fall off. I think it's significant, very significant, that, that Peter mentions both grace and knowledge here. Because if there is, let's understand, if there is knowledge without grace, then that's a problem, right? The Apostle Paul says that knowledge in amongst itself, it, it actually has a tendency to puff up, big chest, big head, but love builds up, he says, meaning we need both grace and knowledge. And let's understand this as well, that we are those who, you and I who are in Christ, we are those who experience grace right now. Right? We, we stand in the grace of God right now. But we also live in the reality that God will continue to shower us with his grace in the future. That is a promise. And so in light of that, we are to be people who grow in grace. Um, some of you might have heard the name J.C. Ryle before. If you haven't, he was a pastor in England in the 1800s. He wrote quite a bit on the topic of holiness and godliness, actually. Worth your time? It really is. Brilliant, brilliant leader. And listen to what he has to say on this topic of growing in grace. He says this. When I speak of a man growing in grace, I mean simply this, that his sense of sin is becoming deeper, his faith stronger, his hope brighter, his love more extensive, his spiritual mindedness more marked. He feels more of the power of godliness in his own heart. He manifests more of it in his life. He is going on from strength to strength, from faith to faith and from grace to grace. I think that captures this idea of growing in grace beautifully, wonderfully. Is your sense of sin becoming deeper? Is your faith growing stronger? Is your hope in this life becoming brighter? Your love more extensive? Listen, it's, it's not just about the mind, Peter says. It's also about the heart. Growing in grace means growing in love. It means becoming a warm, tender-hearted person. It, be, it means becoming a hope-filled person and having hope towards others as well. It means being a repentant person. It means being a person who looks forward continually to this coming future day of the Lord. This is growing in grace. And then there is growing in knowledge. And listen, we will never, we will never get to the bottom of the depths of the person of Jesus Christ. Never. He is inexhaustible, you might say. There's never a point in our lives where we will ever say or could ever say, we have arrived. We know enough. We have him figured out. We just keep growing in our understanding of Jesus. I'll quote another church father who's another hero, the great Charles Spurgeon on this one. He once said this, no Jesus 
sit at his feet, consider his nature, his work, his sufferings, his glory, rejoice in his presence, commune with him day to day. To know Christ is to understand the most excellent of all sciences. You cannot fail to be wise when you commune with wisdom. You cannot lack strength if you have constant fellowship with God. Saints, followers of Jesus, of 60 years experience, who have walked with him every day, they think they know him, but they are only beginners yet. We are only beginners, friends. There is an ocean of understanding in the person of Jesus Christ, in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have only dipped our toe into the water. So until we see him face to face, we want to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And all this is done, notice the doxology at the end here, all this is done for the glory of Jesus Christ who is worthy both now and to the day of eternity, throughout eternity. That's the end of this letter. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. God deserves the glory, amen. And this is a statement here about the deity of Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever, to the day of eternity. And so it's so it's awesome, so poetic. The bookends of 2 Peter, the beginning and the end, reference the deity and glory of Jesus. The, the very first verse, he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says from the very start that we have a righteous standing, an equal standing today. No one has a better standing than anyone else, right? We have equal standing because of the work of our God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Peter gets to the end of his letter and he says, to him, Jesus Christ, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. This is a guy, let us not forget, this is a guy, Simon Peter, who denied Jesus. At Jesus' most vulnerable moment, Peter said to a little girl by the fire, I do not know that man. But the Lord, in his mercy, restored Peter. He actually tells Peter, you will deny me, Peter. But you'll also turn back to me again. And when you do, go and strengthen your brothers. And now here in 2 Peter, Peter says, I know that man, Jesus. I know who he is. He changed my life. And to him be the glory, both now and forever. Church family, we give Jesus glory today because of the salvation he offers us. The salvation he gives to us, gifts to us, because of our perseverance, because it's possible through him. And we glorify God, Jesus, today, because our place in the new heavens and the new earth is assured in him. To him and only to him belongs all glory, all honor, and all praise.
Let us strive to be Christ-centered Christians. Let's be diligent in being a Christ-centered church. For Christ alone is worthy of all the glory. Amen? That's the book of 2 Peter. Let's pray together.